the alchemy of tattooing. Wisdoms of Ancestor Tattoo, where we explore and revive the ancient understandings and methods of tattooing for transformation, creation, and shifting into a higher vibration through processes so effective that it seems like magic. Or is it indeed the true definition of magic? The alchemy of tattooing. Okay, so this episode we've got my friend too with us. He is going to share some of his insights into tattooing and uh, moko and um, yeah, just maybe introduce yourself a little bit first and we'll go from there. Uh, Kia ora everybody. Uh, Tu Maki Naduli is my name. I originally uh, come from a little place called Whakatani in the Bay of Plenty, North Island of New Zealand. Um, Have been practicing the traditional art form of uh, tamoko for mm, 26 years, 25, 26 years now. Um, first six years of that I was a backyard scratcher, I guess you would say, with homemade <laughs> machines, and <laughs> um, as you do as a Māori. Um, and this is way back in the, you know, the days when the Renaissance was sort of just, uh, you know, mm. kicking off again. Mm. Um, and then I was picked up by um, a tohunga whakairo who had turned from uh, carving to tattooing. His name was Mark Kopua. Uh, he's from Tolaga Bay, Gisborne side of the country. And he took me under his wing and has has been a mentor to me on many things Māori um, since that time. So, yeah, I've been practising the art form of tattoo, uh, Māori tattoo for 25, 26 years. Yeah, we kind of all started out like that, eh, back then? Yeah. Just, just, just scratching. Like, uh, um, one yeah. of the brothers just turned up with a homemade machine yeah. and said, bro, can you tattoo me? Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, that's interesting to bring up as well because you, you were taught by a carver. So, yeah. um, the the... Knowledge and the patterns and the and the, uh, the 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 stories and everything behind that all, all relates to the same. Yes, yes. So, the, the origins of tamoko and the origins of um, te, uh, of carving um, come from different realms in terms of um, the what we've been handed down with the knowledge of, um, but they're totally interrelated art forms. They, um, they draw on the same patterns, they draw on the same, what we call burako, I guess, uh, stories of creation, creation mm. stories, all that kind of stuff. They draw on all of that same knowledge. Um, and those art forms were a way of handing down those stories to the next generation. So um, they be- yeah, they became kind of synonymous. And um, if I was to do it again, I'd probably go and learn carving first and then mm skip over to, to tattooing later on because mm-hmm. you'd get a just because the, the carving traditions were maintained throughout the colonial period um, whereas the tattooing traditions were almost died mm. you know we had to revive it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we were just talking before maybe you start with the origins yeah of, of, of tattooing of, of, ta- of tattooing Maori tattooing yeah so the origins of tattooing for us goes back to a, an ancestor we know as Mataora and this comes from the Kahununu um, body of knowledge called um, uh, the, whare, the law of the Whare Wananga 
And each tribe had their own, you know, whare wānanga, each tribe had their own esoteric school of knowledge, and even sometimes each family had their own esoteric school of knowledge. So the, the, the information varies from tribe to tribe, sub-tribe to sub-tribe. But Mataora is generally known story these days, um, and it's, it's going way back in time. Uh, he, he resided in Aotearoa um, at a time when um, humans were still able to traverse through to the spirit world um, through, a, through a, a long journey. It took him a long time to get to where he had to go to enter down into the, what we call Rarohinga, where his wife came from. Mm-hmm. Um, so his wife had visited with a group of her people to Aotearoa at one stage, what we would call Turehu, or kind of like fairy people, I guess. Um, and uh, after a a jealousy, I guess, between Matora and uh, his wife, he he actually beat her up. He hit her. He you know domestic violence. So she fled home. And then after a while, he regretted what he did, and he decided to go and try and win her back. So he had to start his migration, and he would, like, we're talking about canoes over the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, from island to island. The story goes that he would have to go to one island, and when he got to that island, those people would tell him where to go to the next island, oh, okay. and just yep. go on like this and this until he got to, um, I would imagine it's somewhere around India. Yeah, okay, yes. Something like that, perhaps. Yep. Where he came to the temple where it led down what they call Tahikaroa was the entrance down into Raruhinga. Um, and it was a massive passageway that we led down into the earth. Mm. Um, and so he made his way down there and he came across the people of Raruhinga or the spirit world. Um, and there, actually, it was his wife's fa- father who was a uh, Tohunga Tamoko of one of the Tohunga Tamoko of that area. And he came across them and he was actually tattooing somebody. So he sat down with them and um, started conversing. He started actually saying to them that their uh, form of tattooing was kind of, you know, wasn't the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so they started having this debate about what was the real thing. And at that stage, um, markings on the surface of the planet. Were, were in Aotearoa at least were, were just drawn on and we call it kiritui mm-hmm. that's where the term kiritui comes from okay yeah um, so yeah they got into some debate about this and then, then eventually you know they figured out who he was and he figured out who they were and he told them why he was there came back to ask for forgiveness for his wife mm-hmm. and to take her back but um, so w- watching through the, the process of these guys tattooing themselves they were chiseling the ink into this into their faces, uh, so you know these these the people of Rarohinga were kind of laughing at him and say, "Right, oh, yours is just going to wash off. Ours mm-hmm. there forever." Yeah. So he was like, "Oh, I'll take up this challenge. Can you do me?" Mm-hmm. So he got done, um, and actually they they taught him how to do it. Um, but in that process, he had to confront, you know, obviously the father and the family about what he had done, and. Um, they said to him, there's a famous saying that comes out of the story, it is whaia na mahi o rarohinga. Basically, it is, you know, tattooing for us now has to do with following the ways of rarohinga. And the ways of rarohinga is not a violent pathway, it's a, it's a pathway of peace, harmony, aroha, love. And so he had to go through this transformation process in order to be able to bring the art form back to Aotearoa. And that did, he did, he... he had to, he lived there for quite a while. 
um, months, maybe possibly years, until the time was right for them to make their way back up and come back home. And he brought the art form with him. Um, so yeah, we were at this place called Rarohenga. Rarohenga is um, where the Atua, uh, Moko resides as well. So we're talking about somewhere near the core of the earth, or probably mm-hmm. the core of the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ruomoko is also is, is, is the Atua, or the deity, for a lack of a better word, of tattooing for Māori. He's also the Atua, or the deity of volcanic activity, volcanoes, earthquakes, all that kind of stuff, all that, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff that goes on with the earth. And for me, when I first started hearing the story, I was like, well, what's the correlation between, you know, volcanic activity and tattooing? Mm. But um, the, yeah. one, the one thing that's unique about uh, Māori tattooing, especially um, with the facial stuff, is that we would scarify it. It was, a, it was an, an, an indelible scar left and grooved into the skin. Yeah. And, and not just scarred, but tattooed on top of that. So it was a, it was a tattooed scar. Um, and so when Romoko gets active, he gets angry because of um, you know all the stuff that was happening with his brothers and sisters and all the other Atua at the time. Um, when that happens, you know volcanic activity happened and earthquakes happened, and he would leave scars in the earth, scarifications mm. in the mother of, in, the, in the great mother, mm. and we would consider those to be her her moko her yeah, tattoos. Yeah. That's yeah. the correlation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for us the origin of tattooing goes back to the spirit world through this ancestor Mataora, um, and that's the term that we use for someone who wears a, a full facial tattoo is called a Mataora, one of the terms mm. anyway. So that's tattooing. Carving, the origins of carving go back to another different ancestor called Ruatupupuke, whose son um, took a sacred fishing hook and went out fishing one day, he stole it, took it out, <laughs> caught a bunch of fish without, you know, giving the right um, incantations and karakia to, to Tangaroa, who's the ocean. Um, he didn't go through the right rituals and all that kind of stuff. He just went out, started fishing, took all the fish home. Tangaroa got a bit pissed off at this and said, right boy, come here. <laughs> so he took him, took his, took this fella, took the hook, put him down into his whare, which was a, a cave at the bottom of the ocean somewhere. And... Um, a carved type of whare, so to me that's talking about a buried city or something mm-hmm. like that, maybe a sunken city perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he was placed as the the top carving on top of the whare. Eventually his father said, you know, he was going around to all the people and said, have you seen my son? And they said, oh, they told him the story that he'd gone fishing and took the hook and Tangaroa had taken him and put him on top of his whare, so he had to come up with a plan to go and save him. So he went down, he, do, he made his way down to the bottom of the ocean. I have no idea how he did that. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of similar to heading down to the spirit world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and found him down there. Long story short, um, the, the carvings on this in this whare uh, that Tangaroa, where he resided, uh, were able to speak to him. Mm-hmm. They, they were, he was actually able to communicate with them. And... Yeah, long story short, he managed to save his son from the from the top of the whare and brought the art form of carving back up with him, the patterns and the, you know, the information and the stories that go along with it actually come from under the ocean. So both of those are cut short stories, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's the gist of it. Yeah. 
That's uh, interesting. The uh, that that the carvings were taught. He was able to hear them. Yeah. Like um, yeah, there's communication happening. Yeah. From the from the design to yeah. the person, or that there's um, well technology involved. Yeah. Um, and and saying that, like, do you, do you, do you think that the patterns and uh, you know whether it's on carvings or in, in uh, tattooing or moko, mm. um, you know, have a either like they they have a uh, an energy they emit an energy or, or a vibration mm. or are they in in resonance with yeah. with something you know that you know f- you know they're in resonance with what they represent is sure. there a connection to yeah, that sort uh, of thing. I definitely think that's the case. Um, even when we're looking at, um, like, for instance, instance, the ancestral houses that we have back in Aotearoa, mm. you know, the Farinui, yeah. Faritupuna, which was um, usually a depiction of a, an, an actual ancestor. But the way that the, the whare is designed and built is actually a process of channeling energy, Which because usually the whare would face the rising sun, mm-hmm. right? Now, it's not always the case, but generally that was the rule. Uh, so that the rays of the sun would come through onto the the uh, apex of the house, mm. come through the apex of the house, through the core five five patterns that are painted on the house, and disseminate down to each ancestor that was symbolically carved around the walls, right? So mm. there was a, it, was a, it was a way of channeling the modi that came from yeah, the sun. Yeah. And then you would sleep underneath that, your ancestor that you related to in the whare. So, and when you're doing things like healing or moko, you always situate yourself in the whare so that you're, you know, underneath the tahu, which is the main spine, mm-hmm. the main manawa of the whare. And the manawa is, uh, is just that. It's all about channeling energy and frequency. Um, and so all the patterns that you see in carvings like this are uh, derived from nature. Um, in some form or other, and they usually have a, um, you know, proverbial sayings attached to them. Mm. Um, uh, so, for instance, uh, well, the high highs, these high high patterns, have got to do with the lacerations, laceration of the earth, the valleys in the earth, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it links back to um, what we were talking about with Ruomoko creating you know, valleys and mountains on the earth, the scarification and the heat that's generated, the, the hurt, the pain that's generated on the earth. Scarification is related to the to mourning, mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or patterns like Unonahi, who have obvious ties to the ocean. So all these patterns are um, designed to, to connect um, the story that's been conveyed through the carving to the actual element where it came from. So mm. Unonahi... Uh, fish scales is designed to connect uh, the information to or the wearer to the ocean or the the lakes or the rivers because it has to do with fish and Mm. oceans and stuff like that so the intention of those designs carry that frequency Mm. and it just carries that connection to to um, uh, you know the element where it originates from yeah and so when you're trying to portray somebody's um, story you know, and people come to get tattooed for all sorts of different reasons for moko. Um, so you would, it's kind of like an artist, a, a, a musician has a repertoire of songs, uh, a moko artist has a repertoire of patterns, and you would choose the appropriate pattern to match the story that they want to tell. Mm. So 
uh, the intention that goes into the designing process, especially if you're quite fluent in how to use those patterns mm. and and the ritual and the ceremony and all of that kind of stuff is all gelled together, then you you have the uh, unique, in my opinion, uh, method of influencing the person's um, bioenergetic field. Mm. You know, so mm, yeah. uh, from the Māori point of view. The human, yeah, the creation of the human being started as a single cell, and it was all the Atua who gifted different parts of the body to create the first human being. The skin was the first thing that they actually created, mm. from what I understand from Papa Joe Delamere's Wananga. And the way he talks about the skin is that it's not just something that keeps everything in place and protects you from, you know, the viruses and all that kind of stuff from the external world but it's also a messenger it's a it's a sensory messenger that you know has receptors that can you know sense things that are coming in from outside of you and convey that information or that those messages to the internal organs of the body or the brain or the, mm. the puma or the three brains the three brains that we say um, and so the skin has this um, communication network going on yeah, yeah. and so uh, if you're going to do something to the skin it affects the whole body Yeah. especially if you're doing it with intention and especially if you're doing it under ceremony and ritual mm. and then through a purification process and all this kind of thing going on mm. then you have the ability to help people heal through you know traumas and, and mm. the reasons why they're coming to get tattooed sometimes you know people come to get tattooed for things like Losing babies, mm. or losing loved ones, mm. or you know dealing with incest is a common one, mm. unfortunately. But um, the process that they go through, the actual ceremony of getting tattooed, has, in my experience, has really helped people to to move past those, to lay those hurts down, to lay those mm. um, traumas down, and just move on. Yeah, yeah. My um. My mentor, Mark Kopua, his wife is actually a psychiatrist, Māori psychiatrist. And since they got together, 10 years ago or so, she noticed how this, this process was taking place. Yeah. And so she started to you know, delve into all of this, and she um, n- now they actually do this as a, as a training methodology for artists. Uh, she started prescribing moko for some of her clients. Mm. psychiatry clients to help them process trauma and that kind of mm. stuff you know mm. so um, and now she's they both are um, sort of head headlining this movement of um, healing methodology where they use moko and not just moko but artists in general yeah. but moko predominantly to help people heal through their traumas mm. it's a fascinating subject and one, you know, over my past, especially the past 15 years, has seen that that's, you know, in my experience, it really has helped people heal from yeah. from stuff that they've gone through in the yeah. past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, uh, it's a, a huge energetic exchange yeah. going on, eh, when you've got, yeah. uh, especially when there's ceremony and, and, and ritual involved, and everyone's there, and um, 
the, the, all the intention, everything behind that yep. um, being, you know, it's being uh, programmed into that person as well. It's yeah. helping reprogram yeah. them totally is. Um, through through the, the energetic frequencies that are happening. Yeah, yeah, um, that's for real. I mean, and and the, the energy that you bring as an artist. I mean, if you're in a, if you're in a bad state of mind, mm. you know, for me, if I was in a bad state of mind and I had an important, you know important piece to do on somebody mm. and I knew that, it, that my energy was just not going to be right for the day and mm. I'd, I'd, move the, I'd move the appointment yeah. you know, just because I needed to get that, into that space and so for us as, um, as, a, as a couple, uh, my wife also tattoos, uh, we have a home studio uh, I make a point of managing the energy of the studio, mm. make sure that the energy in the studio is always a good vibe going on and yeah. Always cleanse out the studio energetically, cleanse it out spiritually, cleanse it out physically, so that when people come in, and, and most people come into the studio and they go, "Man, this feels good." Yeah, you know, yeah. Every good. every single person does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, so that's because we manage it. Yeah, to do yeah. It. It's a century in there. It's, it's, a it's when they come in, it's uh, it's like they're coming home. You know, they feel really welcome there. Yeah, you know, and it, and it is. It just feels really. Nice. Welcome, like you say. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the, the entrance wall on our studio, as you step in the door and on the right-hand side, there's a whole wall full of paintings of ancestors, you know. Yeah. And that's done on purpose as well because, you know, we want them to come into the to the space thinking, okay, this is, this is, man, this is like Arawinga, right? This is like a, this is a liminal, a liminal space, subliminal yeah. space. This is a space where... It's not like a, a studio down in King's Cross where you're just going to go in and have <laughs> yeah. a metal plane and, you know, all yeah. sorts of crazy shit happening. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's not that type of space. And you, people, often, sometimes people come in and, and, and don't acknowledge that space. They don't see it. They don't, mm. you know, they don't recognize it. And um, it's, it's just something that we are starting to realize is, hey, you know, you've just walked into this space. This is a ceremonial space. If you're mm. not, if you're not there at that space, then you probably should mm. you know, go find somewhere else that's more appropriate for you. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. having having a home studio, we're able to, you know, it's appointment only, so we don't get walk-ins or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's um, there's a responsibility with with that with all of that, isn't there? And and, and maintaining your own. Um, yes. Mana. Yeah, your own mana, your own well being, your own uh, yeah. uh, you know, your own purity even, your own yeah. uh, uh, what you bring uh, as a as a practitioner yeah. uh, and you're the one applying it. Yes. You're the you're the you're the instrument yeah. as well, a part of that whole process that's applying those lines in there yeah. that also needs to be Yes, uh, clean. You make know, sure you're or, in a good state. In a good state. Yeah. You're, good, you're vibing. This is why I sing so much while I'm yeah, yeah, while yeah, I'm tattooing yeah, because yeah. it just makes me feel real good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but that's 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 a that's a real thing for me. You know, um, making sure that uh, one people feel at home, they feel looked after, they feel safe, they yeah. feel safe in that environment. That's a, an important thing. Uh, and like you say, they just feel at home. That's an important thing for us. Manaki. Tanga, which is, which is, you know, an encouraging space, basically. Mm. Um, you know, you're looking after people, making sure that they they looked after and protected and safe through all of these uh, little tools that we have in our mm. bags, you know, mm. in our kete. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's quite amazing when I, I've been there and you've been with any client that comes in, but mm. in particular the mukokawai and the and the matura yeah. that people are receiving when. It's it's really noticeable the difference between mm. them, but beforehand and afterwards, yep. and and once the lines are laid in there and 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 they get up and and the whole, the, literally the energy is shifted is, is different. Yes, yeah, it's it's like raised. It's, it's yeah, that's so true, man. And and like every time I do a facial, especially a male face one and female, I mean, but both they're both as powerful mm. as each other. Um, Man, these guys are—you know—they're floating around on a cloud mm. for the next year. Yeah. Easy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, they're just buzzing really hard. Yeah. And, and it's, be, it's not because I'm the one doing it; it's just because it's the, it's the ceremony. It's yeah. the ceremony that does the healing. Mm. You know, it's mm. not the person behind the machine. They're just kind of like a—you know—he's just the vessel, really. Mm. And the room is the room is full of ancestors while you're yeah. doing that type of stuff. Yeah. You know, no shit. Yeah. So they, they, you can feel it, eh? They're all it's coming hard. in. Yeah, I'll tell you. What, what, how, how, you know, what's you know, obviously it's really important that connection to ancestors. Yeah. Um, what, what's your thoughts with all of that, and, and you know, the importance of that? For one thing, um, me being aware that this this work is an ancestral work has been handed down from the ancestors mm. themselves, you know, and even though it was lost for a period through the process of colonization. Uh, trade of heads, <laughs> head for a gun back in those days, um, you know, it's something that has been revived, and even though we almost lost it, you can just feel, you can just feel it, man, you know, when you're, when you're doing that, especially the facial stuff, you, you just know that there's someone, there's a, there's a bunch of people standing around you, mm. um, giving their support to the process, yeah. you know, my ancestors, and the person getting done, mm. their ancestors, and, and, you know, we have a lot of uh, seers, matakite, amongst mm. our people. Mm. And I'll tell you, man, some of the some of the stories that come through from them, uh, you know, they confirm each other. They, conf- you know, they confirm the stories one person to the next, even if they might not be at the, the same period of the day, mm. might come in, you know, different periods. I tell you, it's just, um, it's just one of those things that uh, the ancestral connection is... For me, it's the ancestors that do the work. I mean, I might design the pattern and you know do think, mm. but they're the ones that are actually doing the healing process yeah, yeah. on on yeah. the clients. Yeah, um, I'm just the one putting the ink in the skin, really. Mm. Yeah. Do you, Do you ever feel uh, you know guided in that kind of way when you when you're uh, creating it, and or when you mm. when you're laying the lines in there, that there's yep. uh, whether it's from their ancestors or or your own sort of or both of them yep. um, coming into the picture, going look, you know, yeah, just sort totally. of pu- pushing pushing th- this way or that way yeah. with, with the design. Yeah, things will just pop into your head, mm. and then you'll mention it, and they'll go, yeah, man, that's 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 the one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when it flows out like that, you know, you know, you just know that <laughs> people are going, hey, what about this, or hey, what about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's opening up to that as well, eh? Like um, yeah. being more sensitive to receiving that and yeah. and knowing that that's what's going on. That isn't just a, a passing thought in your head or yes. or however it's being delivered to you. Uh, you know, there's there's a like a, a skill or an awareness that you develop knowing uh, that that's what's going on. That you're receiving messages here, or that you're yeah. receiving guidance. Yes, you have to be open to that. Mm. You know, you have to be aware that okay, that, you know, as, as a 
spiritual person, am I open to being guided by my ancestors? And if you're not, I mean, you're just going to shut it down. But if you if you if you're conscious about it and you want it, mm. it comes quite freely. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. We were we were talking the other day about um, you know initiation and how men and women. Um, don't in a lot of cultures and a lot of places around the world, mostly any everywhere mm. now, yeah. initiation from say from from uh, childhood into into adulthood or yeah. boy into man, yeah. uh, girl into woman, those things aren't really practiced no, like right. they were, and um, that that's causing this um, immature psychology uh, yeah immature thing happening with with the adults of this world and and, yeah. and we can see that with the with the leadership of of, yeah. of the world you know <laughs> like the, they haven't moved out of boy yeah. energy yet you know they yeah. haven't been initiated into the yeah. into men what so. they have it's kind of weird freaky sort of you know dark initiation stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah but something i think that it's just one of those things that are, you know like like tattooing the process of colonization has um, eradicated a lot of that, not just in Māori culture, but most indigenous cultures, a lot of indigenous cultures around the planet. The Western world doesn't really have that mm. rite of passage going on anymore. Mm. Uh, well, we kind of do. We call it a, a 21st birthday party. Yeah. You get so drunk you can't remember the night. Like, Welcome to adulthood, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 See, yeah, that's, that's the classic <laughs> example of uh, initiation sort of not done the right way. Not there. done the right it's, way. Um, done unconsciously. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I've been reading these um, uh, these psychology books about the rite of the rite of passage. You know, the, the archetype of initiation and how, like, like what you were saying, that how. If we, as humans, don't go through this process of initiation, then we, you know, the process of initiation, too, is usually done by the elders, right? Mm-hmm. It, in, it in included some feat of endurance, mm-hmm. you know, um, pain, mm-hmm. all sorts of things that you had to go through in order to say, okay, you did it, you, you hung in there, you pushed through this infant child sort of period of your life and you you, you endured what needed to be endured so that now you're you're, you're an adult you, mm-hmm. you made it through you know mm-hmm. but not that wasn't just the it was, wasn't just that it was the the knowledge that was passed down at the same time from the elders mm-hmm. to the to the next generation that whole process has been lost for many many of us and mm-hmm. I, I didn't go through that process no neither none of my no. family have no, and although you know we, we these we've probably been through a whole lot of unhealthy versions of it yeah. and, and, and as we grew up and grew into men, yeah. but um, yeah, yeah, continue. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, a lot of us who have gone through you know through the through heavy tattooing work, I think have kind of in some ways have self initiated. Mm-hmm. You know, we've we've gone through that part of endurance. We've gone through that having to grit and bear pain for sometimes days, mm. days on end, mm. you know, and that's and that in itself is a form, is a is a part of the initiation process. Mm. Uh, we haven't had the the you know the knowledge handed down from the ancestors in that process, and mm. unless um, you know, like yourself and myself, we have actually gone out to seek that type of thing. Mm. Um, most people haven't, mm. you know. But in saying that. Um, now back at home in Aotearoa, with the revival of the mataora and the kowai, I mean, it's going off in yeah. New Zealand right now. Mm. People are getting 
Matora and Kowai left right and centre. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago I went home and to a Mokopapa. I'm going to talk about Mokopapa. And Mokopapa is a gathering of the tribe, you know, the, the people of the tribe will, will you know, and have who is amongst themselves and, and figure out if how many people are ready to go and get their chins done mm-hmm. or their faces done. And so they create a gathering and they call it a Mokopapa. And it's a ceremonial gathering of the people where a whole bunch of people are coming together to get their faces tattooed. Mm. And this is really, really becoming now this this new drive of initiation. Mm. Wow, that, that the knowledge is coming down through from the from the from the artists and the elders that are there. Yeah. So this process is starting to just naturally just starting to to find its way back amongst us. Yeah, wow. It's powerful too, man. I tell you, yeah, those yeah. Mongol, you'll have to come to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I tell you, bro, the, the vibe there is just amazing. You've got the whole, you know, you've got hundreds of people sometimes, and they're not just sitting around watching. They've got guitars out and they're singing and they're huckers. And so they're all contributing to the energy, exactly. they're all contributing to the intention. Yes. And the, the, yeah, the uplifting the ceremony of, of it. Of, yeah. Totally. The f- yeah. It's an incredible feeling, and it's, you know, you walk away from those those uh, those gatherings just on a high for mm. days and days and days. And the people who are receiving the, the work, obviously, like I said, they, they're high for a good year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, an, it's an incredible thing to be part of. And I'm so glad that it's, that it's making its way back. Yeah. Yeah. Now that it's got a bit of a, f- a foothold, it's really oh. taken off, eh? It's, it's, it's so... Um, it's such a powerful thing to be happening right yep. now, and to be and to yep. be witnessing, you know, yep. that this this it's all falling back, you know. Yeah, and, that's right. Um, but the thing, like we were talking about with the Matawara story before, the thing, the thing, the main thing for me is that this the moho, the Matawara especially the male facial tattoo, is about transformation. As we were saying with the, the story of Matoda, he was, you know, he got into the state where he beat up his wife and mm-hmm. he had to go through this process of transformation in order to receive the art form and bring it back to the surface mm-hmm. where he could, you know, start teaching it to others. And that's how it happened. And so this whole process for us of Matoda is just that, for me, is the biggest part, is this process of transformation, making sure that if you're going to wear the the markings of your ancestors that you got to look at your integrity you got to look at the way you live your life mm-hmm. you got to look at the things that you need to change in yourself mm-hmm. so that you are following this peaceful harmony loving way of life so that you're not causing harm to people yeah you've yeah. got to be a good person to wear the yeah. mark yeah. well you're the you're the 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 spokesman for the spokesperson for everyone that's come before you yeah you're the spearhead of yeah, everyone. Yeah. You're you're the one now, right now, yeah. uh, representing everyone that's come before you. Yes. So, and in the Maori way of thinking, from our you know through through the Wananga that I've been a privilege to be a part of, um, you know, with Papa Joe Delamere's Wananga. If you heal yourself, you heal not only your lineage that comes after you, but also it goes backwards. Mm. You know that energetic yes. healing works backwards as well to your ancestors. Yeah. So you're healing that whole that whole cycle and breaking the cycles of there's so much there's so much trauma amongst our people, sexual violence, you know, domestic violence, psychological violence is crazy. Mm. It's got really heavy there for a while. You know, suicide is you know we have the, one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Mm. So there's a lot of trauma amongst our people, and and this to me this um, this art form of modern, this revival of the Matawara and the Kowai is really 
starting to help people break those cycles. Mm-hmm. Can you see it um, healing on a collective yeah, of the of the culture of the people? It's happening well? already, yeah. and because there's, uh, because there's you know there's people that coming at this um, the revival from different trajectories. So you've got. Those people who grew up around the marae with the language intact, you know, country kōhangare or all of that kind of stuff, their tikanga, their, their knowledge of tikanga is spot on. And then you've got those from, like, my generation and your generation, my parents' generation, and others that have not been privileged enough to be born into those uh, areas around the country who have, you know, not been raised around the, mm-hmm. the marae and, and mm-hmm. not been raised with the language. So you've got people coming at this thing from two trajectories. Mm. And it's causing this um, discussion, and especially happening online when you get, you know, with social media now, mm. <laughs> something happens, you know, out in the community, it gets plastered on social media, mm. and all of a sudden you've got this debate going on. Yes. But it's quite a healthy thing, even though there's, you know, a lot of uh, cutthroat sort of messages <laughs> and real, you know, real nasty stuff going on as, as this dialogue's going on around the, around the kaupapa of moko and who should be, you know, who has the right to wear moko, mm. for one thing. Um, and, you know, do you have to speak the, the language to be able to receive a moko, which is a common thing? Yeah. You know, all of these issues are starting to get discussed, so collectively it's having an impact as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it's, it's so awesome to see that happening now and, you know, something that uh, other cultures should take notice of, you know, and, mm. and yeah. start looking back at their own yeah. history and yeah. even if it's been lost, yeah. you know, to um, try and find even like a smidgen of it, yeah. you know, if there's even if there's a little wee bit left there yes. or a little wee yeah. hint of it, it can be grown again, it's just like the you know, you've just got to plant the seed and, totally, and, and, totally. and let it roll from there. That is happening too. I mean, we've, we've been rubbing shoulders with many Native American yeah. artists who are coming through, yeah. and they're in the same predicament as we were 20, 20 years ago, mm. you know, where they're just starting to to take back the art form. Mm. And they have facial tattoos. You know, mm. a lot of the, mm. lot of yeah. cultures around the planet have facial tattoos, mm. and they were all, you know, done for the same reasons. And... So we're rubbing shoulders with these young artists coming through from Alaska and, and, and Native Americans from you know, Canada, all around that area. Yeah. And um, and they're rubbing shoulders with them and they're asking all these questions and seeing this process happening and unfo- mm. unfolding in front of them. You know, they're, they're coming down to Aotearoa mm. and hanging out at the gatherings with us. And mm. so this process is really starting to, like you say, plant the seeds amongst them and. And they're running already. You know, hopefully it's, yeah. not, it's not going to take them 25 years to get to where we are now. It's yeah. Hopefully, yeah. only going to take five or ten years. Yeah. Because we've we've broken the ground. Yeah. Done all the groundwork. You know. Yeah. And I guess you know, even though you know it's different cultures, but it, but at the end of the day, not really. You know, the, the, the reasons really. <laughs> the reasons that we were getting yeah. tattooed yeah. Uh, back in the day were all for the same yeah. reasons. And even though uh, some of the, some of the understandings may have been lost. Uh, but listening to another people uh, resurrecting theirs and and, mm. and um, hearing that will be helping them remember, you know, and we're triggering totally. uh, remembering. Totally. Whether it's you know uh, through their ancestors or through their uh, their own DNA or cellular memory, yeah. it'll come back. You know, it'll come yeah. come back that yeah, through yeah. that way. That's for sure. Just triggering it. Yeah. Um, and again, from Papa Joe Dalamere's Wananga, all that knowledge is not lost, man. It's, it's actually hidden away in the ether somewhere. Mm. You just mm. got to learn how to unlock it. Mm. 
you know, accessing it, yeah. It's in our own bodies because yeah. we're descended from the people who actually practice mm. those art forms, so yeah. all of that, that knowledge is actually in our genetics. Mm. You just got to know how to unlock it. Mm. And people like Joe Delamere, he knew how to unlock it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. You know, you hear about the Akashic Records and all this kind of stuff yes. in other cultures. Well, that's exactly what uh, the Māori Wānanga talks yeah. about as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's all there. Yeah. Identification and belonging. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's a big one, actually. Yeah. Identification yeah. and belonging. And, and, and Moko has really come to the forefront of that for the Māori world, mm. especially... Um, you know, I just tattooed a guy the other day, got a full sleeve, and he's he's a Māori, but he's pretty fair. He doesn't mm. look like a Māori, you know. For a lot of people, they they didn't know he was a Māori, and mm. he would get quite, um, it would quite affect them, you know, mm. not mm. knowing people asking, bro, are you a Pākehā? <laughs> you know, yeah, it would affect yeah, them quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. And so he got a sleeve done, and he messaged me the other day, and he goes, bro, people are telling, you know, he's automatically saying, oh, kia ora, brother, kia ora, bro. Mm. They're not even questioning that he's a Māori. Yeah. And um, even though these type of things shouldn't really have an impact on us, it does have mm. an impact on us in terms of our identity and the loss of our identity over the last 200 years. Mm. Moko has, um, has a way of just reconnecting people. I've, I've always seen it as a, as a bridge, mm. a bridge for people, especially in Australia. I've been coming to Australia and tattooing Māori people here in Australia for probably nearly 20 years. Mm. And until I moved over here 12 years ago. Mm. And, you know, you've got second, third generation Māori who were born here in Australia and have no, really don't have a lot of connection to their, to their culture, to their language, to their stories. Mm. And they have this longing, you know, mm-hmm. desire to connect. And they don't know how, they don't know who to approach and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, they come and sit in the seat and you start talking to them about um, what local is and, you know, what type of patterns you can put on you, what type of information you can put on you. You need to look into your genealogy because moko is totally about genealogy mm. and how you link into, you know, the wider community, not just the wider community amongst your whanau, your, your family, but the, the tribe in general, which has connections to every other tribe. So you, can, mm. you just keep going and going and going <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the way back to the first human being. It was ever created, yeah. and that's yeah. yeah. a powerful thing to to start looking into. You know, knowing knowing in this lifetime, you know your genealogy and where you where your roots lie, um, and delving into those roots, uh, you come out the other side of it uh, an empowered um, an empowered person. Mm-hmm. Knowing who you are is such a such a uh, yeah. I mean, most of the planet doesn't really know who they are. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that loss of identity or knowing where you, who you are or what, yeah. you know, how you're supposed to represent yeah. yourself even or, yeah. or, or know where well, you, are, you stand. If, if you don't know who you are, you're lost. Yeah. You really are yeah. lost. Um, and we have, there's an old proverbial saying, he I'll never be lost because I'm a seed so in in the in the realms of rangiate, stardust. Mm-hmm. You know, all of that goes back to quantum physics if you want to, but mm-hmm. it just tells us as a Māori people that, you know, we're not a mistake. Yeah. You know, humanity's not a mistake. Yeah. You as an individual are not a mistake. You were totally meant to be. Yeah. As your ancestors go back, you know, you're the tip of the spearhead. Yeah. Behind you is a myriad of ancestors. Mm-hmm. 
and until you start making those actual real connections to your genealogy, to the land where they, you know, the mountains and the rivers that sustain mm. them, mm. sustain their bodies, until you start making those physical connections to them, we remain in a lost state, in my opinion. Mm. And Moko, in my in my experience, has been a great bridge for many people who are in that state and have, you know, they get a, they come and get tattooed and then. Next thing you know, a lot of them are moving home. They're starting to learn the language. Mm. They're starting to make those connections because they're being imprinted. Literally, it starts their journey yeah. of rediscovery. Yeah. Back with um, the, you know, within it was the intention and uh, you know within within ceremony and getting it done and and uh, the karakia, mm. the the words and the blessings and the and the prayer that comes with that is. Um, really important as well it's like yeah. part of the energetic yes uh, imprint yes um, totally it's setting the space so um, this, the ritualistic ceremonial space I mean everything in Māori society traditionally everything you did was covered with ritual mm. whether you were cutting your nails going mm. for a shit <laughs> everything you did was yeah. covered with ritual and so when you when you want to speak to your subconscious, that's how you do it. You, know, you do it through mm-hmm. the ceremonial space, through your ritual. So the psychology of the of the traditional Maori was probably a hell of a lot healthier than a lot of our people mm-hmm. are today. Mm-hmm. Um, but setting up the space uh, through you know we even do things like pūre, which is usually can I be usually we do it at the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't got access to an ocean, it could be a, a, a sacred mountain or a you know, sacred river or a lake. Um, where there would be a, this purification part of the ceremony, we'll go down there and actually sprinkle water over people or get people in the water, mm-hmm. you know, like a baptism sort of a thing, I guess. Uh, we call it a pūre, so we purify everybody's energetic fields, bring in modi. So modi is um, life force, I guess, which māuri, bright white light, mm-hmm. brilliant white light, mm-hmm. which is you know, it's sourced from the sun, comes through the sun, mm. from source. Mm. So the source is, uh, the sun is the the portal for that, I guess. Mm. Modi ora. Mm. Mm. Um, so we have this sacred space, you know, this liminal space that is set up by, sometimes, it's, most of the time it's me, but other times, sometimes they'll bring in their own tohunga to do all the karaki and handle all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Man, I'll tell you, some of these guys can rattle on for hours, mm. literally. Cut a key for hours, yeah, yeah. not repeating nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm good for 10 minutes, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and But that's such an important part of it, you know, um, like setting up the space spiritually, energetically, um, maintaining your, your mana as the, as the tohunga, as the artist. Mm. You know, making like we talked about before, making sure you're in a good state, making sure your energy is clean, making sure your thoughts are not, you know, wandering off on stupid things while you're doing the work, focusing, mm. remaining focused on what you're doing, remain in that zone of of ritual and ceremony because it's the ceremony that that does the healing. Yeah, yeah, mm. such an important part of uh, the the Mokopapa stuff. And so uh, it makes me think of something else. Where um, where did the Tamakuara sit in? Um, 
in, in the hierarchy status. or the level of status in the, in the yeah. yeah they were uh, considered a very uh, especially the, the the ones that excelled at their work you know who were really masterful at their work man they were they were considered rangatira some even worked their way out of slavery because they were so good at tattooing mm-hmm. they became non-slaves they became free men because mm-hmm. they they earned it yeah. you know um, and it was really you know chiefs rangatira from all over the country if you were a high highly recognized tohunga tamoku and chiefs would get you in from all over the place so that you know fix you up with all sorts of tohunga the payment for their work was really probably the highest paid you know, practitioner at all the different practitioners in, in Māori, Māori society. So highly regarded. Um, they had to deal with blood. They had mm-hmm. to deal with touching people's heads, which was the most sacred part of the body. Mm-hmm. Dealing with blood was uh, a tapu thing. So we had yeah. this whole tapu system going on. And because they were dealing with all that um, and, and learning how to mitigate and, and protect and all that kind of stuff, it was a highly recognised practitioner mm-hmm. uh, form. Yeah. And I suppose you know there's a, a quite a bit of knowledge keeping as well, hmm. uh, responsibility, and that is, is yeah. uh, yes, yeah. Like we said before, a lot, a lot of our stories <clears throat> and all of that knowledge, the esoteric knowledge of the of the of the tribe, you know, obviously a lot of the, the Tohunga Tamoko had access to a lot of that knowledge hmm. and carried it. Um, not all of it, obviously, just the ones that are applicable to him, I guess. Um, you know, but he probably rubbed shoulders with the gardeners and the and the you know the healers and mm. all of that type of stuff. The, the navigators, mm. you know, all of those highly regarded um, statuses, yeah. positions amongst Maoriism. A lot of people are probably wondering how it was done back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. The tools. So the tools traditionally, uh, most people have probably seen Samoan tattooing, you know, mm. with the with the chisels and the tapping. We were done. Ours was exactly the same thing. Our tools were generally smaller though because we were working with curves, yeah. really tight curves. So a lot of our tools were maybe I don't know, six to eight inches. Yeah. And the and the and the actual chisel part of it, some of them were like single pronged. You know, like a needle. Yeah. Other than maybe two or three, four or four teeth, sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the tools were made from generally from things like um, the wing bone of an albatross because it was so hard. Uh, it didn't break easily. Sometimes they made them from human bone. Nowadays they make them from pig's tusk. We still make them from from albatross bone as well. Or I've been going to Hawaii and learning how to make tools from a Hawaiian master over there, mm-hmm. Kioni. And he's been making the tools from uh, hippopotamus tusk oh, yeah. and walrus mm. tusk, I believe, because the same thing is really tough. Mm. But these tusks are they're enormous. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. one tusk would last you, I don't know, easy 100 tools maybe. Mm. Mm. So they'd carve these, make these tools out of um, the bone, which was lashed to a like a handle. Um, so we had flat chisels, no serration, you know. And then we had the serrated chisels for Māori I'm talking about. Mm. The flat chisel was used to sever the skin. Mm-hmm. So some people think that we had like a V chisel that, you know, that actually carved like a mm. wood V chisel with the yeah. skin comes away. Yeah. That's not the case. It was just severed open like this. Mm. Severed open. And then 
they figured out how to make the damn thing heal like that, you know, because mm. naturally the skin will heal in the yes. keloid scar. Yeah. Well, they they were able to keep it healed like that. Yeah. We're still trying to figure that part out, really. Yeah. Yeah, you haven't mastered that. Yeah, I was talking to um, Gordon Toy about that. Yeah. He had a theory. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying. <laughs> but because um, he, he was him and him and a, a skin specialist. I remember that. We were, yeah. were talking about it, and um, the skin guy was talking about how the, the you know the makeup of the of the skin and how it knits back together. Yeah. And that if something gets cut, you know, it knits back together quite well. Mm. If it gets cut again, it starts not knitting back as well. Yes. Cut it again. Yep. It doesn't. It's it's almost becoming training it. Yeah. It's not going to knit back very well. Yes. And so um, the theory was that. It was the those lines were cut multiple times, like they would yep. be cut, yep. heal, cut it again. That's right. Heal, cut there's it again. Actually, um, it became a ridge in, yes. in there. Yeah, there's actually a document by Terangi Kaheke, who's from Tarawa, who was explaining the process of more. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in the grey documents, and he actually says that that was a, a multiple cut right, yeah. process, mm-hmm. um, and then the ink would be laid in later, mm-hmm. sort of a thing. Um, I don't know if there's too many people who have actually gone through that process. I know there was a couple of guys from down the South Island who had done a few heads. Mm-hmm. Another guy in Topo, but I haven't seen the work, and I haven't um, haven't managed to get around them and talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a technology, hey? yeah. like a lost technology that has yeah. to be re, re, yeah, yeah, to re- right. rediscovered in a way. And I, I would imagine they would have used poultices and even um, um, uh, karakia. Karakia was something, you know, the old tohungas of those days, I mean, they could they could make it rain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could call up a storm if they yeah. wanted to. <laughs> so the, so, the, so, the, so the, the, the karakia would be keeping the, it from closing up, you know, it would be keeping yeah. it apart, like just keep it yeah. separated. Yeah, that's right. We don't want it joining up. Yes, yeah. that would be the intention behind the yeah. karakia. And also things like um, the type of ink. The inks was usually made from, uh, there was a couple of methods, um, Cody gum. Mm-hmm. was one method so th- an actual term for somebody who's um, tattooed another another term for somebody who has a tattooed face is called matakauri mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a kauri face basically yeah. Yeah. Um, because they would burn the resin from a kauri tree catch the soot mix it with a with a shark oil or a human oil and then make them into these little balls yeah. of of ink yeah. like a like a play-doh-y sort of a thing yeah. and they would store that and sometimes that would last for generations hand down um, and then they would mix it up you know they take what they need to mix up for their for their session for the day mm. um, and water it down I guess and use it from there um, so there was mata uh, that was the Cody method the other method is a really strange one and it's something that a lot of some people believe that it's not even a real thing and I'm not sure but so they would gather this thing that they called an afeto or an aweto, which was kind of like a chrysalis. It was a little bug mm. that would bury itself into the ground in the forest and grow, crystallize itself under the ground and actually grow leaves on top of it like a plant. Okay. So it was a bit of a mixture of these things. Yeah. So they would go and collect these things, and then they would... Um, gather them up. Um, and back in those days, we had um, a traditional dog. Mm. Um, it was a white, furry sort of... Uh, dog called um, Kuri Maori <laughs> um, and they would starve these dogs, they would purify their systems, mm-hmm. they would put them on a, a fasting you know, for a couple of weeks or whatever it was and just feed them water so they would clean out their system and then they would feed them these things 
wait for them to do their too tight, do a shit, then they'll cl- collect the shit. Yeah. And go through the same process that, you know, dry it out, burn it, yeah. catch the soot, mix it with the oil. Yeah. And um, a lot of us are left thinking, why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> What's yeah. that about? Yeah. You know, and What's happening in that we, process that... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a similar process that went on in the, in the Whare Wānanga, which was these satiric knowledge schools, right, these traditional schools of knowledge where the students of those, of the priesthood, um, the initiates, they would swallow a stone and pass it through their system, shit mm-hmm. it out, and then clean it all off once it all comes out. And that stone, every time they went into um, the schools where the traditional school was run only at night time. Mm-hmm. So you'd sit in the dark mm-hmm. inside the Whare Nui and at the altar in the Whare Nui where the old sage would just rattle off these, this history and karaki mm-hmm. and you were expected to memorize it. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. But they would hold these stones in their mouth and it's gone through this process of of of, uh, of going through of them, them. No, of going through them. Um, so, uh, so the student has, has it passed it through, and now when he's when he's learning, when he's picking yes. up the le- the lesson, yes. lessons, uh, he's holding that stone in his mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah that's right. Um, and that's got to do with tapu and noa, I believe. And I I, I I don't claim to understand how that really works, but. Um, what I do, what I do understand is that, um, and it's come to me from a few, different, a couple of different sources. So one of my bros up in the north, his grandfather used to carry around a piece of dog shit in his, an old dried up piece of dog shit in his handkerchief. He just keep it on him all the time. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is because it was, because it had gone through the system of a dog, yeah. or, or a human, and for that matter, I guess, um, it had the ability to ward off black magic. Yeah. So that's why he would carry it around. Mm. And there's another story down from the Taranaki region. There was a, a tohunga down there, a tohunga. You know, some of them are really feared because they can <laughs> they can kill you from a distance yeah. without yeah. even being there. <laughs> Black magic, right? Yeah. And and so there was one of these tohungas down there, I forget his name, and the people were trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get rid of this guy? And so what the, the warriors, one of the warriors says, yeah, I'll do it, just leave it to me. So he went and waited in his in his shit house in his latrine, which was a pit full of shit, mm. where the old fellow would go and do his shit every day. Mm. So he waited. He climbed down in the shit because of the same reason, because he knew that shit, Makutu doesn't work around shit. Mm. That's got this got to do with right. this tapu and noa thing yeah. that yeah. I don't fully understand yet. But um, um, mm. so to me, I started placing. And this is just my theory. There's no written or anything like this. It's mm. just my theory that the reason that they would you know, go through this dog shit process was to protect the mind from Makutu. Right. And that's just my own theory. Mm. I can't say that's a legit factual thing. So because it's been through there, it's gone through that, using it to tattoo uh, yeah. your face, you've now got a protection from yeah. Makutu. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's just my theory. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've mentioned it to a few other people around and they're like, yeah, it makes sense. But no, I, can't, I can't say that's factual or not. sense if it's if, if why else would you do it <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be a good reason yeah um, that'd be a good reason yeah yeah cool and then and then they would go into a state of tapu so um the the 
the Tohunatamoko and the person who was receiving the moko, they would mm. go into like a state of quarantine and they would be in there for up to a month maybe. They weren't allowed to touch their food. Is this uh, bef- before or after? After. after. Because of the shedding of blood. Right. So they would go into yeah, a state yeah. of tapu. Which is a state of tapu. Tapu just literally means a state of restriction. Mm. Mm. Like a quarantine. Yeah. It's a quarantine. Yeah. That's pretty much what it is. So they would yeah they would sit in quarantine and usually the work was done away from the main from the main people it was done out in the bush somewhere you know, because of the spilling of blood yeah it was a sacred thing it was something it was their way of dealing with you know, virus and disease I would imagine mm-hmm. yeah true yeah mm. kind of covered a lot there eh now yeah I think um, we've covered all that lost yeah we might have to keep. Might have to end that one there. I mean, we've got. We can do. We can have another talk again for another one. Yeah, we, of course. You know, as we talk outside of this, yeah, yeah we'll come uh, up, we we'll come up with other ideas. <laughs> oh man, we should talk about that too. Yeah. Um, so, well, this one we should leave it there, and and I think there's a lot for everyone to listen to at the moment. It's yeah. lot, lots of cool information there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe, well, maybe we'll do another one. Okay. Again soon. Okay. Yeah, awesome, awesome man. Bro. Thank you so much. Wow, yeah, it was pleasure. Uh, amazing. Awesome. Awesome, brother.